So good. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. If you're near the back, for the month of January, uh, we're going to be taking a look at the opening prayers Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And we're going to look at them in that order because that reflects the chronological sequence that he wrote them in. That is not uh, the sequence they show up in our New Testament, but that's how he wrote them. These opening prayers contain some foundational truths and spiritual concepts that are good for us to lock into our hearts and minds any time of the year, and all the more so in a fresh way at the start of a new calendar year. Although these prayers were targeted to the specific churches Paul originally addressed, each of these prayers that we'll look at this month, they still live on. And each of these prayers remain open and awaiting their fullest fulfillment in and through the lives of people just like us. These apostolic prayers were important enough to God that he saw fit to have them included in the Bible. And we know all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Beyond that, whenever we're praying God's own words back to him, we can know for sure we are praying in accordance with God's will. You know, sometimes you're praying, I don't know if that's God's will or not. And it's like you praying his words back to him. You are right down the middle, right there in his will. And also these prayers connect us to the power of agreement because all over the planet, many other believers are faithfully praying these very same prayers. As we pray and live out these apostolic prayers, we can also engage and fashion our hearts to becoming part of a fuller release of God's word today. And about God's word in Isaiah 55, it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So when we add the vocabulary of these opening prayers into the mix with our personal prayers, they bring us into better alignment with God's desires and God's purposes. And as we pray these prayers, these prayers that God has preserved for us in the Bible, we also position ourselves to become human links through which God's desires, purposes, and answers are accomplished today. By his design, God has established that our prayers matter. Listen to me, there is no such thing as just praying. I know sometimes when we pray, it feels like it didn't, it didn't even get to the ceiling, not, not even past it, it didn't even get there. I mean, it's like, did that accomplish anything at all? Was there any, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't feel it. I don't know if that made a difference or not. There's no such thing as just praying. Whether you feel it or not, prayer matters. God has established that prayer matters. Our God hears our God answers, our God responds to prayers of people like us. Now, not always as quickly as we would like him to, but our God hears, our God answers, and our God responds. And at this point in my spiritual journey, it seems like we get one of at least three answers. It can be yes, yay, he did what I was asking him to do. It can be no, ah. Or a lot of times it's wait, it's wait, it's a timing thing. And that's the promise that we can count on. God's promise to us is that he will make all things beautiful in their time. Meanwhile, through and with our prayers, we can tangibly lay hold of God's will and we can ask for God's best, not, not only for our own lives, but also for the lives of our family and friends and also for the church at large, who is the bride of Christ being prepared and made ready for Jesus' return.
On his second missionary journey, Paul went to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was the largest city and the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia, which is located now in present-day Greece. Rome had recognized Thessalonica as a free city, meaning they allowed it to be self-ruled and they exempted it from most of the restrictions placed on other Roman cities. Thessalonica was a thriving seaport destination and the Ignatian Way, the most important Roman highway at that time, went right through town. So all of that combined to make Thessalonica one of the wealthiest and most prosperous trade centers in the massive Roman Empire. Paul had originally spent three Sabbath days there teaching about Jesus in the synagogue. His message was well received by some of the Jews, by a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and by several of the prominent women in town, all of which provoked the local Jewish leaders to form a mob who started a riot that resulted in Paul and Silas being run out of town. Now, in one of those, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose deals. This kind of local opposition, which Paul faced over and over again throughout his ministry, forced him to find creative ways to keep guiding the new church communities he planted. And since he couldn't stay long enough with them in person, he developed the pattern of teaching, encouraging, and correcting them through letters. And many of those letters were gathered together and had become a major part of our New Testament. Now, even today, writing letters or texts or emails is not a flawless communication method because uh, even when things are carefully and clearly crafted, stated, and written, the person on the receiving end can miss the tone, miss the point, misread, misunderstand, misinterpret what was there. And that, as it turns out, was the reason Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians, the book before it is 1 Thessalonians. Less than a year later, he's writing them a second letter, 2 Thessalonians. In the first letter, he had told them about, one of the things he told them about is the coming of the Lord. And some of these new believers had gotten really excited and fascinated about that. Now, Paul, when he wrote to him, told, told him, you cannot predict the exact time that that will happen. So the thing you need to do is to just focus on living lives that honor Jesus no matter when he returns. That's what he had said. But some of the believers had gotten overly fascinated with the ideas of Jesus and him return, so fascinated that some of them had quit working. And in this letter, Paul said some of them had actually become idle busybodies who were stuck in end times theology mindsets. When I was reading that this week, I thought, you know, as much as things change, things can stay the same. Over 2,000 years later, we're closer to Jesus' return than ever before, but we are still better served to live our lives focused on being ready receivers and conduits of the power of the Holy Spirit, as well as faithful witnesses to Jesus every place we go, rather than getting so fascinated by and caught up with end times, dates, and predictions. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We, all, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance in faith and all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Paul and Silas and Timothy were together in Corinth when this letter was composed. And as always, I think it's good not to just read past grace and peace to you. It's in so many of the letters and we just sometimes just go right past it. But Paul's intention, backed up by the Holy Spirit, was to release another wave 
of God's grace and God's peace to every hearer and reader of these words. God's grace is his empowering presence that enables us to be who we're created to be so that we can do what we're created to do. And God's peace, it speaks to this unique kind of quietness and rest. It's not based on externals, but it's something inside. His peace that overcomes anxiety. His peace that overcomes fear like we were talking about this morning. His peace that overcomes even trauma wounds and things that are there. His peace comes into our life. It can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And his peace can also do things in us that far surpass our own understanding. Grace and peace to you. Now, as best as I can tell, Paul had a very strong personality and he probably was not the easiest guy to be around a lot of times. But I love, love, love the way he expressed his heart and his love for these believers in Thessalonica. And I also love the humility that he expressed for the privilege of having been used by God to launch this new growing church. And NIV Study Bible footnote says, Paul knew that it was God, not his own apostolic labors or the labor of the Thessalonians, who was responsible for the church's remarkable spiritual growth in the face of persecution. In the Amplified, Paul's opening words are, we ought and indeed are obligated as those in debt to give thanks always to God for you as in fitting. In the message, it says, you need to know, friends, that thanking God over and over for you is not only a pleasure, it's a must. We have to do it. I also love what Paul commended them for, their growing faith and their increasing love for each other. This very day, I think those are two things that the people in a healthy church should be known for, their growing faith and their increasing love for one another. A growing faith is about a growing love for God. And there will never be a day when any of us can afford to put our faith into coast mode. We're to be people who live by faith with an expectancy of regularly moving from one level of faith to new levels of faith over and over and over and over again for the rest of our lives and probably for the rest of eternity. This kind of living by faith isn't intended to create any kind of super spirituality ideas about ourselves. On the contrary, as it says in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And in the Amplified, it says, only faith activated and energized and expressed and working through love counts for anything. True growing faith is always relationally and lovingly based and expressed. True growing faith is always relationally and lovingly based and expressed. The counterfeit is a false growing religious faith that feeds our pride and ends up isolating us away from other people. If our growing faith is not causing us to embrace increasing deeper levels of expressive love, compassion, vulnerability, and service towards other people for their gain and benefit, as well as for our own, then we're missing the mark. 
Paul also commended the Thessalonians for their steadfastness and for growing where they were planted, which was not taking place in the most ideal conditions. As he had personally faced there, all these new Thessalonian believers were continuing to face and have to deal with and endure persecution and trials because of their faith in Jesus. You know, sometimes we just read past (coughs) and sometimes we miss the depths of what's being communicated and commended in sentences like we boast about your perseverance and faith. But the Amplified puts some more meat on the bones and creates a clearer picture. Paul was boasting to other churches about the Thessalonians' unflinching endurance and patience and firm faith in the midst of all the persecutions and crushing distresses and afflictions under which they were holding up. You know, right into our day, believers all over the world are dealing with things just like that on a regular basis. And we all be wise to keep rooting and grounding ourselves in an unflinching endurance and patience and firm faith so that we'll be ready for whatever comes our way in the future. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, after extolling the blessing and the benefits of being poor in spirit and of mourning and of meekness, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, of being merciful, pure in heart, and a peacemaker, he added, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus pushed it another step and he added a wake-up call that still resonates into our day. He said, blessed are you. Say, blessed are you. Blessed are you you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's not what we wanted the rest of that sentence to say. Very rarely, very rarely, when we're insulted and persecuted and having all kinds of evil, evil spoken against us, even if it's because about Jesus, it's not like, whew, feeling so blessed that all that's going on. Thank you, Jesus, that all those people are saying all that stuff about me. That's usually not the way we feel. But Jesus said, blessed are you when that happens. With a qualifier, because of me. Sometimes some of that happens because we just done done stupid things, right? Some of, that, some of that is actually justified to come our way. But when those things are happening to us because of him, because of what he's doing in our life, there's a blessing that comes with that. And we all need to keep reminding ourselves that our choices today matter now, even as they echo on into eternity. And at the same time, as precious as every breath and every moment of every day is, Here's the truth. We're living for the rewards that we'll get on the other side. That's what we've got to keep living for. Look at verse five. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. That's one of those, verse six is one of those verses you just like to cut out and put on your refrigerator. God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. But the rest of the verse says, and this will happen when Jesus, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels. He'll punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus and they'll be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. I mean, that's a bad place to end up right there. Again, this morning, I just wanna say, if you've never given your life to the Lord, that that I just described is your destiny, to be shut out from the presence of the Lord 
to be separated from his presence for eternity. Hell's a real place. God did not create it for humans. But humans can go there if they choose to. But you just make the choice like Roy made last week and gave his life to the Lord. And Alicia, who gave her life to the Lord last week, she's going to baptize next week. Make that choice and everything changes. And the rest of the verse goes, says, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Jesus had clearly said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. However, we still tend to be surprised when trouble comes our way or when trouble comes into the lives of those who we love. And when that happens, we still tend to look for payback and we cry out for justice. And while that does occasionally happen from time to time in this life, it's important to remember that as Paul said here in his second letter to the Thessalonians, the final settling of accounts is connected to Jesus' triumphal return. I love the way Paul described that day. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. That's gonna be an amazing, amazing day. And until that day, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours in every act prompted by your faith. With this in mind, it's one thing to look forward to Jesus' return with an escapist mentality during trying times. However, it's healthier and quite another to live in the now and present to the moment in light of the ultimate destiny that will be manifested on the day Jesus returns or when we die, whichever comes first. Paul brought the Thessalonians and every hearer and reader since back to the present in this opening prayer with this in mind. We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Now, just a few seconds ago, we read in an earlier verse, Paul had, Paul had told them that they were, the way they were enduring the suffering <coughs> was evidence that God was right about them and that they were worthy of the kingdom. But in this opening prayer, although it reads the same in English, Paul actually used a different word for count that created a different application and spoken to a continued willingness for them and us to keep living our lives fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of struggles. The word Paul used for count you worthy comes from the word deserving, as if drawing praise. And when I stumbled on that definition, instantly into my mind popped the verse, Proverbs 27, 21. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but man is, re, is tested by the praise that he receives. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold. You heat up silver and gold in the crucible and the furnace and it causes the impurities to rise to the top so they can be scooped up. Interestingly, God's praise spoken into our life can also cause the same thing to happen, to cause the impurities in our lives to rise up so that he can scoop them off. And it's the things that God speaks to us that actually define who we really are. There's something to be learned in and through trials. And part of that involves developing trustworthy character traits that keep us living led by and in step with the Holy Spirit, no matter what comes our way. Our God is always with us and in his mercy, grace, and love. He's always at work within us, refining us. As we get better at recognizing his presence and his voice and his words of direction and affirmation and even praise, especially in the midst of hard or challenging times, in the midst of, in the midst of struggling times, we feel like we're blowing it. He's going, you got this. You got this. Stay with this. Stay with me. We got this. 
I'm with you. You can make it through this. You're doing okay. Okay, yeah, you dropped the ball there. Pick it back up. Let's go. Though as we get used to hearing his voice and responding to it that way, it'll keep us moving forward with the inescapable maturing work of perseverance every day. And that'll help us keep showing up as the salt of the earth and the light of the world that Jesus has called us to be. Paul also prayed that by God's power, he would fulfill two specific things in their lives. But before we look at those things, we need to look at that word fulfill. In Greek, that word is very picturesque. It means to make replete, to cram a net full, to level up a hollow place, to fully furnish, to satisfy, to verify. So Paul was praying for the undeniable power and hand of God to be seen and evident in their daily lives, in every place, filling them so much with his love and his power that they could not contain it. They couldn't keep it to themselves because he's a God of so much and he pours it in. And so he's asking for them to be fulfilled, to be so much that we have to give it out, but also so much for those places where we're lacking, where it's like, we're, we're not getting there yet, that God's love and power would come in and he would, they would level up those places, that he'd fill in the potholes of our lives. That he, would, that he would also uh, keep us from living in empty spiritual houses. You know, you can have a house, but until you start putting furniture in there, you just got a bunch of walls and floor. Pretty echoey and loud in there, but you start putting furniture and things on the wall and you start putting carpeting and different things like that, it changes the whole complexion. And God doesn't want us living in empty spiritual houses. He wants to fulfill. He wants to fill our houses with beautiful things. He wants to satisfy the longings and the desires of our heart. And he wants to over and over again verify within us in undeniable ways by his power and love that we are a much-loved son or a much-loved daughter of the Most High God. Words in these prayers are words that we can pray today and invite the same thing into our life. And it's not hard, I'll show you. Just pray this after me. God, by your power, may you fulfill every good purpose of mine and every act prompted by my faith. Simple as that, you're praying apostolic prayers. I encourage you to keep asking the Lord to do that. A lot of times I find myself when I'm writing people notes and different things like that, adding this phrase in, that may God bless everything that's prompted by your faith. And it's just a way of speaking it. I pray for myself. I pray it. I speak it to others. May he fulfill every good purpose of theirs, which was probably better understood as may he fulfill every resolve to walk out God's gracious purposes in goodness. May he fulfill every resolve to walk out God's gracious purposes and goodness. Here's the truth. Any truly good ideas, any truly good ideas that we, oh, I thought, I thought of a good idea. Those are God ideas first. Those are God ideas first. And mercifully, he lets us in on them. And he joins together with them so that they can get accomplished and get done. God's goodness isn't just a static theological concept. He's good all the time. But his goodness is meant to be manifested in real and tangible ways. Jesus said, let your light shine before people so they can see your good works. But when they see your good works, they go, wow, you're something. And when they see your good works, they go, that's an amazing God that you're serving. God gets the glory. But they're seeing what we're doing, but they're giving glory to God. In his first letter, Peter said something very similar. He said, live such good and beautiful lives among the pagans. Not just live such good and beautiful lives with your church community, but live such good and beautiful lives among the pagans everywhere you go. 
Live those lives in such a way that when they see your good works, they praise God when he visits us. Again, God's love is meant to be demonstrated in our lives, seen in our lives, good and beautiful deeds and words that when people see them, cause them to be drawn to God. And as God shows up, they go, I'm there too. I want that God too. There's supposed to be an unmistakable demonstration of God's power flowing through our good ideas and purposes that we recognize and acknowledge. It's not like, whoo, that was a good idea. I'm so glad I did this. Like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you, God, for using me. Thank you for giving me the gifts and the talents or the open door or the opportunity to be part of that. That was so cool. Thank you, God. That's what it should do for us when we give him the praise and the glory rather than, whoo, wasn't that something? You see what I did? Didn't that look good? Aren't you happy? Did, that was, no, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. When we're doing it right, when we're doing it right, his power flowing through our good ideas and purposes, we recognize that and, and acknowledge that in overflowing thankfulness comes from our lives rather than us thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Along with the act of walking out of God's goodness, the second thing Paul's opening prayer asked for was the fulfilling of every act prompted by their faith. Implied in this prayer is a desire to see a continual growth in their personal and corporate relationships with God because at its core, faith is a relational word that sparks our actions. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So like our good ideas and our good purposes, acts of faith, acts prompted by our faith, those are all God ideas first too. Again, he's more than willing to share them with us. He's even gone so far as to have the Holy Spirit live and dwell in our hearts. But more often than not, he waits for our agreement and partnership to create action. New Living Translation, it says, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. The message says, pray that our God will make you fit for what he's called you to be. And I love that because so many times we think about faith as a doing thing first. There are doing actions connected with faith, but at its core, faith is about being. We can get busy doing, 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 but if we don't start with being, if faith isn't transforming who we are, if our faith isn't transforming how we show up in the world every day, the stuff that we're doing won't last. There'll be no staying power with it. It'll just be for our name's sake, but the things that we, that come in are doing because of that's who we are, that's who we are in Christ, those things have staying power. Pray that our God will make you fit for what he's called you to be and pray that he'll fill your good ideas and your acts of faith with his own energy so that it all amounts to something. That's the difference between good ideas and God ideas. Good ideas have their, just their moment. God ideas keep lasting, keep bearing fruit. It's the God ideas that we get to be part of that make a lasting difference. And because God has mercifully considered people like us to be his workmanship, here's good news. Every one of us, every one of us is qualified and every one of us is created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepares in advance for each one of us every day. You won't wake up any day the rest of your life without some good things for God to do with you that day. The question is whether you'll do them with him or not, whether you'll see them, whether you'll recognize them. But they're there every day. He is faithful with that. Look at verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's two fulfilling requests had a specific reason we should all aim for in everything we do and desire, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and us in him. Every day we can become more conformed to the image of Jesus as we allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the end goal of our lives should be the continuing development of more Christ-like character and Christ-like behaviors. Each one of us who surrender the control of our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ have the opportunity and the privilege to become accurate representations of God in this world. In these days, we can be accurate representation of God and his heart. We can be his hands and his feet. As we choose to remain in and abide in and walk out Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as we choose to remain in, abide in, live by and walk out God's word and God's ways. Jesus said, our lives will bear much fruit. And he also said, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, uh, through the years, uh, lots of different circumstances, situations, praying with people, looking at different things. One of the things you can do is look at the fruit that's in your life. Look at the fruit that's coming forth from your life. And one of the things that done many times, you look and you see bad fruit. And one of the mistakes we make, we see bad fruit in our lives, so we just want to pick it and throw it away. But guess what? More bad fruit grows where that one came from, right? But here's what happens. When you discover bad fruit in your life, what you got to do is not go, oh, there's bad fruit in my life. You should you should say, why is that there? And you should press in and start digging and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the root of that. Because if all you take off is the fruit, more fruit's coming. But when you get all the way down to the root and you deal with the root, guess what? No more fruit, right? But listen, it works the other way too. You look at your life and you see good fruit in your life, things that you love, things that God is blessing and prospering. And rather than just getting all fascinated, wow, doesn't that look so cool? Trace the root back and go, wow, God, that's you because you set me free from that, because you delivered me from that, because you changed my wants, because you put me with this group of people, because you're at work in my life. Look at this that I'm getting to be part of. Look at this fruit that's showing me to be your disciple. It works both ways. Don't get fascinated with the fruit. Go all the way to the root and see what God will do. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. There's a longing in God's heart for an intimacy with people like us. And Paul tapped into it in this prayer. He was praying into a oneness that every person can have and experience with God. As a result of the new covenant that last week when we were talking about Simeon, Simeon declared it this way, your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That's also exactly what Jesus prayed for as part of his closing prayer in John 17. Father, may my prayer for them is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. May they be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know you sent me and you've loved them even as you've loved me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the agape love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You know, all of us, are in process towards the end. That prayer of Jesus is not finished yet. We're in process. There's none of us that are finished with that process yet. You know how I know that? You're still here breathing. 
You stop breathing and go to the other side, you're done with that process down here. I suspect you'll be picking it up on the other side. But down here, every day we wake up and we're still breathing. We're part of this process of being drawn into oneness with God. We've all got lots of space, lots of territory to keep growing into and occupying in order to be counted worthy of his calling. And there's only one way to accomplish that so that we can experience all these things consummated in our lives. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, this word according to, it can mean out of, out of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. But it's probably better understood as in proportion to, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and us in him in proportion to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that takes that prayer request up several levels because we know that God's grace, his empowering presence is more than sufficient for all our needs. I, I continue to believe that uh, God's grace is codenamed for the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And in Acts 17, 28, it says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Which brings us right back around to receiving another wave of grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me finish with some thoughts from a Ray Steadman sermon on this opening prayer. Inner changes are taking place in our lives that we cannot fully see. Hold fast, keep steady, remain faithful. Don't give up. And rather than falling into evil practices, say no and walk away from them. We have the resolve to do so and the desire given to us by the Spirit. We have the faith to do so in the basis of facts revealed in the scriptures. And we have the power to do so since God himself dwells in us. Granted, it may sometimes be hard, but we are constantly reminded that the Lord Jesus is now being glorified in us. And in that glorious hope, we can face each day. Let's stand together. Whoo, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to give us the witness and the testimonies of those that have gone before us. Thank you for loving us enough to capture and preserve some prayers that we can keep praying today. Prayers that draw our hearts into agreement and alignment with your highest desires and your highest purposes. Your, your thoughts and your ways are much higher than ours, but you love to share your thoughts and ways with us. And part of that comes when we ask you to do it. <clears throat> One time Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Lord, I pray you'd stir up a fresh desire in our hearts to just be crying out to you, to be lifting our voices to you, be talking with you. It doesn't have to be formal, bow your head, close your eyes, prayers, although those are good. It's just talking with you, God. It's just walking with you all day. And not just talking to you, but listening to you as well as you lead, guide, and direct us through the things that we face. Lord, as we head into this new year, we just want to say thank you for all that's taken place. Thank you for the, all that's been done. But the best is yet to come, and we want to be part of your best. So capture up the attentions and the affections of our heart and draw us 
to be people who are running with you and running with delight in your ways. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good. So good.